Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. Unintentionally, we've kind of been tracking Romans here for the last little bit, and not unintentionally, Romans 12 is one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible. We find ourselves in Romans uh, 13 now. But it's all kind of flows. If you, if, you, if you read the book of Romans and you kind of pay attention to what's happening and what Paul is saying, the first 11 chapters are really dense with theology. And then in, verse, in chapter 12, he starts to get real practical. Um, he starts to kind of take all that theology and break it out. And he starts that 12th chapter where things start to get more practical with that don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. He calls our bodies a living sacrifice, um, not a dying sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. May that be um, our holy and pleasing worship to God, that we live our lives in such a sacrificial way. And that's how he begins. And then he goes through a lot of stuff, and a lot of it has to do with how to treat other people and loving other people. And so this morning, we find ourselves with these words, and I'm going to read it this morning out of the Christian Standard Bible, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, when he says this, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is taking from Jesus there a little lesson because what did, the, what did the Pharisees try to do? And they came to Jesus and they said, well, hey, tell us what the greatest uh, commandment is. And Jesus basically said, well, they can all be summed up into two things. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. And love your neighbor just the same way. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. And so if we go back and read Exodus... And we find there in Exodus the, what we traditionally call the Ten Commandments. You can break those down. There's six that talk specifically about what you would not do to someone if you loved them, right? You wouldn't murder them, obviously. You wouldn't covet. You wouldn't commit adultery. You wouldn't lie. You wouldn't steal. And there's a sixth one there that I'm just forgetting at the moment. And then there's four that have to do with loving God, taking God's name in vain, remembering the Sabbath, keeping it holy, um, so, and there's two others <laughs> and God is, Jesus is taking this and saying everything that all the rest of the law that you were given breaks down on was held in these 10 commandments. And I'm telling you, they can actually be summed up into two things, love God, love our people. And so this is where Paul is grabbing this from. He said, you've heard, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. And any other commandment that is summed up by this command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, it is the fulfillment of the law. There is another translation of some of you may have. It starts out, let no debt remain except the debt to love one another. Is that what you said, Willie? Did you, did you? Okay. Let no debt remain except the debt to love one another. This one doesn't use the debt language, but it just says, owe nobody anything. Same thing, except for owing them the love, right? We live in a society now 
where debt has really overtaken us, right? I mean, we can look all around, and you don't see, uh, like, things that happened a hundred years ago where people would not build a house unless they had the money to build it, or they would build it along the way. You don't really see that anymore. Strangely enough, I have, uh, on the road leading to my house, not in my neighborhood, but on the road leading down to my neighborhood, there is a house, and I think, I don't know for sure, but I think that's what's going on. I think they're building it as they have money uh, because it's been a long time. It's not like there's been a bunch of subcontractors, and that's just not something you see a whole lot. I didn't even, under, I didn't even know this was a concept, right? I, growing up, I was born in the late 70s. All I ever knew was mortgage and debt, right? That's all. I didn't know another way. And so I remember as a, as a late, in my late teens, maybe early, uh, it's probably my late teens, I went down to Mexico. And we were there helping to build a church, and there was a house that was unfinished. And I remember them telling us, oh, these people, you know, they haven't, you know, they're building it along the way as they get money. And I thought, man, that's fantastic. They have no mortgage. I mean, I didn't really know what a mortgage was at that age. I was probably 16, 17. I was like, they have no mortgage. They have, you know, but they don't have a place to live right now. But I thought it was a fantastic concept. So we understand this concept of debt. Now, you may have done what, what I have done in the past. In parts and places of my life, uh, I have been indebted to other people, like individuals. I mean, obviously, we've talked about mortgage debt, and we've been blessed where that is really the main debt of our family outside of student loan. It's for, for my, so, um, and so those two things, but we don't have a whole lot. Of, we don't have any consumer debt. There's none of that. But I have been in places in my life where I have. I've also been in places where I've borrowed something from someone. And in the time between the borrowing and the paying back is a little bit awkward. I don't know if you've ever been here, but you're sitting there and you run across this person and you're sitting there thinking it's on your brain when you meet them. It's like, man, I owe them, you know, whatever it is. And you're just projecting that onto them. They're probably thinking this about me too. And it just makes the whole situation awkward. Uh, I've been on the other side of that too, where where I have loaned money and resources and other things to people and Quite honestly, as the lender, it's hard to put out of your brain. Not that, uh, in fact, one specific instance is a really good friend of mine, and I wouldn't have cared if I never got paid back. But it was still on my brain. Paul understands this to be true. He understands the human condition. When someone owes something, it is there. It is kind of this elephant in the room that nobody's really wanting to talk about. Sometimes they do want to talk about it, right? But it's this elephant in the room that just constantly sits there as this obligation that is yet not fulfilled. It's just sitting there heavy. It's like, what do you do with this thing? And they understood that. In fact, in the Roman world, what what happened a lot of times is there was a number of slaves, and some people would be in such debt that they would just sell themselves. They would give their bodies to work over to the person they owed money to until that debt was paid off. And many times it was not fairly established, and so the person would just basically be an indentured servant for the remainder of their lives. Um, and they would give their families into this. So it was not an, a foreign concept for, for Paul's generation, for this is not new for us at all. And Paul comes to the Christian church, and he brings this concept down to the level that they are going to, A, understand, and B, he's making it really practical for them. He says, don't let any debt remain except for the debt to love one another. Let that be the thing that hangs over your head so much that when you see the person, you're obligated to love them, right? 
Paul's saying that love must be the thing that hangs over us for every person so much that we think about it with everybody. That this is the debt. When we meet a new person we've never met before, the debt I owe them is the debt to love. Paul understands a couple things. One is, uh, we've created, and it's probably not unique to us, but humanity has created a system in which we believe at times that love is a two-way street. I love if they love me back, and that is not love. And Paul understands that. Love is a one-way street. He understood that there is, you don't actually love someone if it's conditional. If there is condition upon it which, which, with which they return back to you the same measure that you give them or pretty close to equal, then that's loving. Uh, Paul knows that it's just a one-way street. That was the love that Jesus modeled, this unconditional love. It did not reside within or did not lay on top of me for me to be good at Jesus for Jesus to then love me and die for me right although we try that all the time and we put that on other people well I love them but they don't really do the right thing so I've kind of cut them off right we hear that in our society and Paul knows that love is not a two-way street love is can only go one way and a beautiful marriage is not a marriage in which one person says well if you do this then I'll do that and we can kind of coexist this way because we're both, it's where two people are so selflessly giving of themselves to the other person that they are not looking for something in return, that they're doing it because they love that person unconditionally. And if both people are doing that, that is attractive, that is good, that is what we want. And Paul's saying this is what, we, this is what Christ did for us, this is how Christ loved us, and this is how we are to love other people unconditionally without any kind of set guidelines. And when we love people like that, what does it do? It covers everything else. <laughs> and Paul understands this, and he's bringing us to the Roman church, which likely had, we talked about last week, had built hierarchies and structures and systems within themselves that were placing themselves above other people because of class or whatever it may be. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you're all equal. And then in this chapter, he goes on and says, don't let any debt remain except for the debt to love one another. That is what you have to do. In fact, if everybody lives like that, there is no more crime, right? There is no more, I mean, truthfully, if we're being honest, there's no more debt. There's no more uh, uh, class system because everybody sees themselves as the other person is better than them. Like, I love them so much, I'm thinking of them so much more to myself that there is no more poverty. Like, that stuff's gone. Like there, and it's not a political system. Paul's saying, like, I'm saying, telling you to love everybody this much. And what Paul is bringing through the Scripture is saying, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Because if we talk about the kingdom of God and what it looks like, then there is no murder. There is no adultery. There is no, the list that, that he gives us here. There's none of that. There's also no more monetary debt. There's no more poverty. There's no more need. There's no more want because we have taken all that we have and shared it with everyone, not because anybody's forcing us to or because, because we love them and we don't want them to be in need. Why would I want my, if I love my neighbor, why would I want them to be in need when I have enough, when I have plenty, when I have excess? And Paul is bringing that down to the church level and saying, church, this is, 
Forget how everybody else lives. And that's why he starts 12 out with that. Don't be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind because Paul understands that the patterns of the world that they lived in and it's true even now, the patterns of the world we live in, tells us the exact opposite, to go and to take what you can get for you, right? Hoard it all for yourself. Yeah, if it helps you feel good and makes you look good in society, give some to the other people. But ultimately, it's about you, and it's about getting as high up in the class system. And this is what it, this is what was going on in Rome, and that didn't that little short description didn't sound really unlike what we're going through now in in our world. And it's true in every society that you can go in. Because I've been all over the world. I've been in villages in Africa. I've been in villages in China. I've been in I've hiked through the Himalayas in India, and I've been in some of the bigger cities in India. Everywhere you go, this is true. People are trying to get to the next level up, the next level up, the next level up. And Paul is saying, cease that effort. Your burden, your debt, the thing that you owe is to love one another. Love brings in the rule and reign of Christ. Verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. That sounds a lot like something Jesus said, but what did he, what did he say? It was a little bit different. What did Jesus say? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I've come to what? Fulfill it, right? Let's break this down. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. Jesus was God in flesh. Jesus taught us that God is what? Love. Paul is just saying the same thing right here. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. God is love. The way that you fulfill the law of God is to love other people. We go around striving and saying, well, hey, I didn't uh, do any of this other stuff. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't, you know... Just like the rich young ruler. Here's the list of all the things I didn't do. The interesting thing about the, the difference between Jesus' ministry and what we see in the Old Testament. And God is the same, but he turns it on his head. He doesn't, he doesn't say, okay, now it's okay to commit adultery. It's okay to murder. He doesn't say, okay, now it's okay to, to lie or steal. What Jesus does is he takes the negative and he turns it positive and he says, don't just not murder your brother. Love your enemy as yourself. Don't just not steal, but actually if someone wants to take from you, give them more than what they're even taking. Like it. And this is the things that Jesus has done to show us this is what love looks like and this is what I'm doing for you. And now Paul and Jesus told us the same thing, but Paul's taking it here in chapter 13 and saying, now this is your debt. This is what you owe to other people is to love them. Imagine a world, if you can, where everyone loves each other without regard for what they're getting back in return. And that's just like everybody's doing that in every direction. Can you imagine that? Is there a war in that kind of world? 
is there racism or any kind of injustice? Is there poverty? Is there crime? No, it's not. Sounds a bit like heaven, doesn't it? That is what Paul is saying. It is on us to create that. It is on us to now live that out in our world in a way that brings the kingdom of God on earth just as it is in heaven, which is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And why does he tell us to do that? So that is what Paul is calling us to do. Why does he call us to do that? What does verse 11 say? Besides this, since you know the time is already the hour for you to wake up from your sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I'm going to read it again from the NIV, if you would indulge me. And do this understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Pretty similar. The idea that Paul is driving is it is late in the day or it's early in the morning, however you want to see that. Because well, He's probably kind of more giving an early in the morning kind of picture because he's about to go into this little text where he's saying, so put off all the things you do in darkness because now the day is breaking, right? When, I, when Natalie and I went down to Nicaragua to adopt you, uh, it's an interesting thing, right? Because Nicaragua is really close to the equator. The sun gets up a lot earlier there than it does here. A lot earlier. I remember uh, uh, when we were first adopted Jude, we get down there, and, and what, they, what they tell us is, you're going to get down there, you're going to get to meet him, you can even spend every day with him, but he's going to stay there in the orphanage. And after a week or two weeks, once we see he's kind of taken on to you guys, we're going to get, so that was what we came prepared for. So the first day we get there, we wanted to see him. We'd only seen pictures. We were so excited. We get to the orphanage that day. Uh, he's watching TV with these kids in this room. And they pull him aside, and then they hand him over to this strange white lady. All right? He cries for about the next two hours. I don't even approach the kid. Uh, I literally stand inside the orphanage window and just take a video. And there's they got these pictures and videos of Natalie just walking around with Jude and holding him. And she's crying. I mean, he's crying, and she's trying to console him. And then the next day, we go back to the orphanage. So he's, he's at least seen us, and he's, he's kind of been with Natalie. He hasn't really been with me. Uh, but we sit down at a table in his environment, and we're playing with him across this table, but all of his buddies are in the, on the, in the room with him, and he starts to kind of latch on a little bit, and he starts, I remember there was this little cup of beads, and he starts handing me these beads. Um, and that day, we go to the grocery store, and when we come back, so we take him with us, and when we come back, but you know, we know he's staying at the orphanage that night, when we come back, she said, oh, he looks like he's taking on to you guys. We'll bring him over. Well, here's the thing. At that point in my life, I had worked in the food service industry and, and as, a, as a youth pastor in a church. Neither one, neither one of those jobs require you to wake up really early. So I enjoyed sleeping in a little bit. Not a lot. I was never a late sleeper. I was never a 12 o'clock kind of guy, but I enjoyed sleeping until 8 or, 8 or 9. Yeah, Will is driving Willie nuts. Willie's already shined his shoes and cut his yard by 5.30. But 
And this was just kind of, and they said, well, here's this kid. And I said, well, man, if I'd known this was going to be my last night getting to sleep in, I'd have enjoyed it a little bit more. Because the next morning, Jude wakes up at the crack of dawn, crying, ready for his milk. And it ended up being the best time because it was really quiet time in the morning. We get to spend with him. But here's what I discovered that morning when I woke up. It was like 5.30, 6 o'clock. The sun was already way up. Because the closer you get to that equator, man, that sun is up a lot earlier. And the other thing I noticed, I'm just kind of, I mean, it's real early for me. It's like 6.15 or something. And I'm thinking like the world's just now kind of waking. No, sir, they are about the business. They are going. Because a lot of the people we learned did not have electricity. And so when the sun was up, they were up there because they had to get their work done while it was daytime. This is what Paul is saying. Hey, the night is over. The day is here. Get up early. Let's get to work. Because the hour's here. Paul is saying, there is no more time to waste. Put off all the things that you did in the darkness. And he starts to list them out. We're not going to go there, but you can imagine a list, right? It's kind of a list very similar to the do nots that we just read in the, you know, you've heard it say don't commit adultery and this, that, and the other. And Paul goes back in those and said, this is the party and all that stuff you did at night, you put that off. Because it is late in the day or early in the morning. It is time to move. And church, that is where we are at today. Now you could say, and I used to say, and people have thought, man, Paul was saying this 2,000 years ago. And the same is true today, right? Because at any moment, the event that changed history was Christ being crucified on the cross. And his return could come at any moment. And Paul is basically bringing out to the church and saying, this is the why. This is the why I'm telling you, don't let any debt remain except for the debt to love one another because it is time to get about the business of God. There's no more time to sit there and wait. We're not waiting around for the Messiah. We're not waiting around for anything else. He has come. He has done his business. He has shown us how to live. He's coming back again. We got work to do. It's like all those Nicaraguans looking at me like, what in the world is this guy just getting up for? We got work to do, man. Son, it's going to be dark. <laughs> you wasted two hours of daylight. And here's the good news, church. You may have wasted hours of daylight, but God's not come back yet, and we still got time. So let's get about the business of God. He said, it is now time to do what it's time to do. Don't owe anyone anything except for the debt to love one another. And you got to do it because... The time is, uh, because you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So discard all the deeds of darkness and put on the arm of light. How does Paul expect us to do this? We know what he has called us to do, to love we know why, because it is now the time. The, dark, the darkness is ending, the light is here, and we have got business to do. How do we do it? Verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to, to gratify the desires of the flesh. Clothe yourself, some other translators say, clothe yourself in Christ. I've known people who in the morning they will read a scripture slowly from the Gospels about the life of Jesus and what he did and pray like, God, let this be true for me today. 
other people quite quite literally. I remember as a kid, like, you know, you got the armor of God that Paul writes about, and they put it all on, right? Like these these things that Paul was writing that were true of a Christian that was good because of this what God through Jesus taught us, and they would like put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. I'm getting some nods. Okay, I'm gonna and there was something about the shoes. I remember that. I don't I don't have it all memorized. I'm sorry. But and so there are people who do that, but the idea would be to actually take what Jesus did and put it on yourself, saying, This is what I am to do today. The Paul is saying, put on Christ, all that Christ did. What did Christ do? Above all, he loved sacrificially. We can go to the gospel and read that. That he gave his whole life. And here's the hard part. He gave his whole life to people who didn't like him, to people who wanted him dead. He died for Judas, who sold him out. Paul's saying, put on Christ. There's a there's a scholar, his name is N.T. Wright. He's written a lot of, uh, he's basically the, probably the most respected theologian today, that's alive today. His name is N.T. Wright. And he wrote this when he was writing about this scripture. The point of love, the genuine Christian love, what the New Testament writers call agape love, was that it, meant copying the self-giving love of Jesus himself. So when they use this word, agape, to describe this love, they were actually using it in a way that meant copying the self-giving love of Jesus himself. This love included the the command to put on Jesus, as in verse 14. And in that self-giving love, then there is no room for all the things that Paul has listed. There's no room for the drunkenness, for the adultery, for the slander, for the... Uh, there was even some really interesting ones in there um, where he talks about, because um, there's a lot of people in church today who say, yeah, I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. I'm not adulterous. I'm not grabbing uh, onto these ideas that I'm supposed to be better than other people. Like, you know, there's all this kind of stuff, but then there's quarreling and jealousy. <laughs> don't believe it. Go read your social media posts. And Paul's saying, put on Christ. Because when you put on Christ, there's none of that. You don't have to be right in your viewpoints, right? You don't have to have someone agree with you wholeheartedly for you to love them now because Jesus didn't agree with like 90% of my life. None of it, actually, unless he was doing something good through me was good, but yet he still loved me and did those works through me. That is what Paul is saying. He's telling, telling us to let no debt remain. That's what he's calling us to do because it is late in the day. And we do that just by putting on Christ, letting Christ, back to verse 12, back to chapter 12, verse 1, let Christ, through his Holy Spirit, transform our hearts and minds, not letting them be transformed because we're following the patterns of the world, but letting the Holy Spirit transform our hearts and our minds. So with that, this morning, Let us go to the God who loved us first unconditionally and showed us what it was like. Let us go to him in prayer and let us pray together. God, we are so thankful that you have called us sons and daughters. We are so thankful that while you call us to love, you did not just leave us floundering to figure it out, but you came and showed us what it was like to live.
You showed us what it was like to have a self-giving love. God, we have confessed this morning that we haven't done it right. God, we are so thankful that you forgive us, that daily you show us what it's like, self-giving love. God, help us to be people who just selflessly give of ourselves to others. Because we know that the only thing that matters is not us being right or us being on the top rung of the social ladder or having the most money. The only thing that matters is that we are obedient to you, that we are faithful to you, and that we show your love to all of those around us. God, we love you. Let us be transformed through your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.